0: Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network.
1: Episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. Ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Yay! Oh. That's a hint about this episode. But before we get into it,
2: Hey folks, Dreadnought here from the Faith Blind Council podcast. Myself, Frater Yara Marud, and Seder Cologne have been working for over a year to produce a show that talks about practicing chaos magic with three practicing chaos magicians. We cover all sorts of topics, from deep paradigm dives on subjects such as Gnosticism and Southern American Conjure, to techniques such as divination and meditation and even sex magic. (laughs) But don't take my word for it. Check out this clip from one of our latest episodes.
1: But like you mentioned, the eighth house being like the house of shame, like where I have totally are, like, been to the house your, of shame your, before. Where your, yeah, Waffle House. Things... Yeah. <laughs> 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 the only thing I have in my my eighth house is um
2: my my moon sign so what's what's interesting about there being kind of shame associated with your moon sign and your emotions is that your moon is in virgo right virgos virgos are the like the sign that are the most critical of themselves like you it's very hard to hurt a virgo's feelings because you will never say something meaner to a virgo than a virgo says to themselves when they're by themselves For this and so much more discussion about magic in general, be sure to check out the Faith Blind Council podcast at faithblindpodcast.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts at. Thank you so much for checking out our show, and we hope to see you soon.
1: And we're ever-expanding, so we have lots more coming! Ooh! So, I got the idea for this show from another paranormal podcast that is more of a PG-rated podcast. Yeah. And they were going to do this topic, but as they dug into it, they decided that some of the stuff they would cover was not PG-13.
3: Oh, really? So,
1: I thought, well, then it's right up our alley. Yeah. Yeah so we're gonna do some of the history and origins of some nursery rhymes and some songs we all remember from our childhood now i will say i had a Mother goose book that had some creepy ass pictures in it when i was growing up yeah and some of those stories scared me as a kid a kid like i couldn't even tell you which one what there was one about like a fox that was stealing chickens and it was a scary one. The pictures in the, pic- the pictures in the book were scary, and like the story itself was scary. <laughs>
3: oh yeah, if you look at a lot of those old books from the turn of the century, the artwork in them is just it's so bizarre and like uncanny valley. yeah,
1: this was very much like it was you know from the eighties, and it was very it's- artistically interpreted. I guess (laughs) It's
3: almost like Like with the illustrations They're trying to pull off The 1930s Wizard of Oz But wind up It winds up coming out As the 19 Or late 1980s Yeah Return to Oz
1: (laughs) That's a creepy ass movie too
3: And it has that That one girl in it That was in the craft Yes She needs to play the Joker sometime You ever seen her smile? Yeah Harley Quinn or something like that. She, oh, she'd be great for that part.
1: What's her name? I cannot think of it right now. Oh. I can picture her.
3: Yeah, I can too.
1: Every time I think of the Return to Oz, though, I picture the wheelies and then they
3: like, uh, yeah, creeping yeah. out.
1: So let's dig in, shall we?
3: As historians trace the origins of
1: what is now
3: known as Mother Goose Nursery Rhymes they found that the nursery rhyme's songs and stories had their origins in much older stories and rhymes. They were handed down orally from one generation to the next and changed vastly over the years. Some of these were written more for adults and some of the tales were blended with other stories to form new ones, making it almost impossible to find what the original tales were. Mother Goose Nursery Rhymes come from two primary sources, a book published in France in 1697, and a book published in England in about 1765. There's also a claim that an American woman was the real Mother Goose, and that her son-in-law published a book of her stories back in the early 1700s. This claim was, however, discredited. Charles Perrault published in 1697 a collection of eight fairy tales, titled *Historias o Contes du Temps Passé vac des, Morales*, which translates as "Tales of Long Ago with Morals."
1: That one's easier to say. <laughs>
3: the stories were based on old folk tales that had a long oral tradition. Although Perrault added his own touches, the book contained an illustration of an old woman spinning and telling stories to three children. On a sign in the background, it was written, Contes de Mammalioi. Translation, Tales of My Mother the Goose. The eight stories contained in it were Cinderella, The Sleeping Beauty in the Wood, Bluebeard, Little Red Riding Hood, Puss in in Boots, The Little Tom Thumb, The Fairies, and Ricky of the Tuft. The stories were translated into English in 1729. There were no nursery rhymes in Perrault's book, but he is credited with laying the foundation for the literary genre of the fairy tale which previously had only been an oral folktale tradition. In 1765, John Newberry, an English publisher, used the Mother Goose name for a collection of mostly traditional rhymes, which he called Mother Goose's Melody, or sonnets for the cradle. The collection included 51 rhymes, described as the quote, Most celebrated songs and lullabies of the old British nurses. Another reason this book is important is every edition of Mother Goose Rhymes published since have been influenced by it. Since we are not a children's podcast by any stretch of the imagination, we thought it would be fun to look at the poetic meaning of these rhymes and discuss their esoteric underlaying.
1: You mean we're not for children?
0: That's fucking rubbish.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Old bollocks.
0: Boy, fuck you.
3: (laughs) Now, probably the most notable one that Amy's already mentioned is Ring Around the Rosie, but it wasn't published until 1881. According to Jennifer M. Wood, who writes for Mental Floss,
1: quote, Though its lyrics and even its title have gone through some changes over the years, the most popular contention is that the sing-songy verse refers to the 1965 Great Plague of London. 1665. (laughs) Refers refers to the 1665 Great Plague of London. Quote, The rosy, unquote, is the rash that covered the afflicted, the smell from which they attempted to cover with a, quote, pocketful of posies, unquote the plague killed nearly 15% of the country's population, which makes the final verse, ashes, ashes, we all fall down, rather explanatory. But Snopes labeled this reading false and quotes folklorist Philip Hiscock <laughs> with more likely suggestion that the nursery rhymes probably had its origin.
0: In the religious ban on dancing among many protestants. 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 (laughs) That makes more (laughs) sense. In the religious ban on dancing among many Protestants in the 19th century, in Britain as well as here in North America, adolescents found a way around the dancing ban with what was called in the United States the Play Party. Play Parties consisted of ring games which differed from square dancing only in their name. And their lack of musical accompaniment. Yeah, I just can't say that word for some reason. Accompaniment. They were hugely popular, and younger children got into the act, too.
1: So Ring Around the Rosie is the original Footloose?
0: (laughs) Quite I don't think that would be a very uh, (laughs) fun soundtrack for a movie.
1: Footloose. Everybody got Footloose. Ring around a rosy, rosy, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes. We all all burn
0: together.
3: (laughs) In the preface of the book, Mother Goose's Melodies, or Sonnets for the Cradle, written by a very great writer of very little books, quote, Much might be said in favor of this collection. But as we have no room for critical disquisitions, we shall only observe to our readers that the custom of singing these songs and lullabies to children is of great antiquity. It is even as old as the time of the ancient Druids. Characterus King of the Brightons was rocked in his cradle in the Isle of Mona, now called Anglansia, and tuned to sleep by some of these soporiferous sonnets. As the best things, however, may be made of an ill use of, so this kind of compositions has been employed in a satirical manner, of which we have a remarkable instance so far back as the reign of King Henry V, when the great prince turned his arms against France he composed the preceding march to lead his troops to battle. And this, and this book actually has the sheet music for this march. Yes. All right, back to it. Well, knowing that music had often the power of inspiring courage, especially in the minds of good men, of this his enemies took advantage. And as our happy nation, even at the time, was never without a faction, some of the malcontents adopted the following words to the king's own march in order to ridicule his Majesty, and to shew the folly and impossibility of his undertaking
1: Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> no, no, not that one
3: There was an old woman tossed in a blanket seventeen times as high as the moon. But there she was going no mortal could tell for under her arm she carried a broom old woman old woman old woman said i whither a whither a whither so high to sweep the cobwebs from the sky and i'll be with you by and by here the king is represented as an old woman engaged in a pursuit the most absurd and extravagant imaginable But when he had routed the whole French army at the Battle of Angencourt, taking their king and flower of their nobility prisoners, and with the ten thousand men only made himself master of their kingdom, the very men who had ridiculed him before began to think nothing was too arduous for him to surmount. They therefore canceled the former sonnet, which they were now ashamed of, and substituted this in its stead which you will please to observe goes to the same tune so vast in the prowess of harry the great he'll pluck a hair from the pale-faced moon or a lion familiarly take by the tooth and lead him about as you lead a baboon all princes and potentates all princes and potentates under the sun through fear into corners and holes away run while nor dangers nor dread his swift progress retards, for he deals about kingdoms as we do our cards. When this was shewn to his majesty, he smilingly said that folly always dealt in extravagancies, and that knaves sometimes put on the garb of fools to promote in that disguise of their own wicked design, the flattery in the last is more insulting than the impudence of the first, and to weak minds might do more mischief. But we have the old proverb in our favor If we do not flatter ourselves, the flattery the flattery of others will never hurt us. Unquote. We cannot conclude without observing the great probability there is that the custom of making nonsense verses in our schools was borrowed from this practice among the old British nurses. They have indeed been always the first preceptors of the youth of this kingdom, and from them the rudiments of taste and learning are naturally derived. Let none therefore speak irreverently of this ancient maternity as they may be considered as the great grandmothers of science and knowledge. Unquote. Now out of all the nursery rhymes in this book, I've only heard a handful of them. Uh, the book is also accompanied by maxims, which are proverbs uh, and the English type they're the English name for proverbs. Uh, they also some of them also include quotes from uh, notable, british people
1: so let's dig into a few of these fairy tales shall we nor fairy tales or nursery rhymes
3: let's do it let's do it <laughs> sounds good to me
1: jack and jill went up a hill to catch a, to fetch a pail of water jack fell down and broke his crown and jill came tumbling after according to jennifer wood who wrote for mental floss, one of the most common theories surrounding this story's origin is that Francis Louis XVI and his wife Mary Antoinette, who were both found guilty of treason and subsequently beheaded, the only problem is that the events that occurred nearly 30 years after Jack and Jill was first written. The more likely possibility is that is an account of King Charles I Attempt to reform taxes on liquid measures when Parliament rejected his suggestion. He instead made sure that the volume was reduced one er, on half and quarter pints, known as Jack and Jill's, respectively. Hmm.
3: Alright, it seems very fascinating to me that most of these rhymes have kind of uh, political underpinings, you know. And when we look back at some of the mythology of the Celtic people, a lot of it was about using satire to as a form of magic in order to rout armies, in order to assert uh, uh, the power of the throne, yeah. and various other things.
1: Well, and also when you look at it, I mean, bring in the United States, you know, in the beginnings when slavery. I mean, that's what the slaves did a lot of, too, is they would make up songs to pass along messages. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. So there's a lot to it in that. Now we have Baba Black Sheep. Ba. Have you any wool? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full. One for the master, one for the dame, one for the little boy who lives down the lane from Jennifer Wood of Mental Floss. Through most of the scholars agree that Baba Black Shape is about a great custom of tax on wool that was introduced in 1275. It uses, its use of the color black in the word master led some to wonder whether there was a racial message in its center. Its political correctness was called into question yet again in later part of the 20th century with some schools banning it from being repeated in classrooms. And others simply switched the word from black to something less offensive. In twenty eleven, Australian news reported the proliferation of baba rainbow sheep as an alternative.
0: Baba, <laughs>
1: I say that would get you in trouble now. So now, I have a list of them too. Shall I pull out mine?
0: Wait. Oh, hey, 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 hey. oh, inertia. I'm sure. Go ahead.
1: And this is from bookriot.com. Rub-a-dub-dub, three men in a tub. It was about three maids in a tub. The limerick was about a popular attraction at traveling fairs. A peep show where people could watch women bathe and um, enjoy one another's company. Or the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker were among the voyagers looking on. Later in Victorians, later the Victorians called themselves cleaning it up and changing the words so they put three men in a tub. What they didn't know was apparently that three men can have just as good a time in a tub.
0: Let's <laughs> say, so how does changing it from three women to uh, three maids to three man, men make it any better?
1: London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. My fair lady. Said a man to watch all night, watch all night, watch all night. Said a man to watch all night, my fair lady. Suppose the man would should fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep. Suppose the man should fall asleep, my fair lady. I sing that to the wrong tune, but hey. Uh, there are several theories behind the origin of this rhyme, but one of the one that really stands out is about human sacrifice. It was believed that the bridge would collapse unless human sacrifices were buried in the, its foundation. The practice is called immurement in which the practice of entombing someone within the structure while they slowly die from lack of food and water. If you think about it, the game of play the game was played while singing the song, where two kids form an arch and the others run underneath it until this end of the song. Whoever's left at the end was trapped in the hands of the two kids forming the arch. Does it sound creepy now? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I didn't ever think about it like that.
3: I don't know. I think it just more goes back to, because even the British went through a thing where dancing was evil and would get you burned at the stake, so.
1: True. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and pretty maids all in a row. The Mary referred to in this rhyme is Mary the First. Daughter of Henry VIII and his first wife, Catherine of Argonne. Henry VIII wanted to marry Anne Boleyn and petitioned for the Catholic Church to divorce them, divorce time and time again, which was refused, so he isolated himself from the Catholic Church and created the Anglican Church. As a result of this, England was, at the time of Mary's reign, divided between Catholics and Protestants. When Mary came to the throne, she wanted to convert England to Catholicism again, going contrary to England's wishes since most of England was happily Protestant. Her short reign from, 19, er, from 1553 to 1558 was marked thus with executions of thousands of Protestants. The silver bells and cockle shells are torture devices from her time, and the pretty maids all in a row are referring to the hundreds of women burned at the stake for crime, the crime of being a Protestant. Three blind mice, three blind mice. See how they run, see how they run. They all run after the farmer's wife who cut off their tails with a carving knife. Did you ever see such a thing in your life as three blind mice?
0: No, they couldn't see it. They were blind.
1: This is another rhyme dedicated to Mary the First Reign, also known as Bloody Mary. The mice are believed to be a trio of Protestant bishops. Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Rodley, and the Archbishop of Canterbury... Thomas Cranemore who conspired to overthrow Mary. They were obviously unsuccessful and were found out and they were burned at the stake for treason and heresy. It was mistakenly believed that she also blinded and dismembered them as the rhyme goes after being burnt alive. Wasn't enough.
0: It doesn't rhyme as well as no. cut off the tail with the butcher's knife.
1: Old mother Hubbard went to the cupboard to get the poor doggy a bone when she got there, the cupboard was bare, so the do- little poor dog, the poor little doggy, had none. Old Mother Hubbard isn't even a woman, if the theories are to be believed. Old Mother Hubbard is actually Cardinal Wosley from the sixteenth century England. Once a powerful member of clergy, he found himself in Henry VIII's bad books because he was unable to get him divorced from Catherine, and he's so bad that he's so badly wanted so king henry is the dog and the divorce is the bone and the cupboard is the catholic church which straight up refused henry's divorce resulting in england's separation from the church here we go round the mulberry bush the mulberry bush the mulberry bush here we go round the mulberry bush so early in the morning we all sang this as a kid in school not really knowing who's going around the mulberry bush historian h r s duncan who was also the warden of england's wakefield prison wrote that song's origin lies in the practice of female inmates singing this who were exercising with their children around the mulberry tree georgie porgy puddin then pie kissed the girls and made them cry when the boys came out to play georgie porgy ran away Georgie e. Porgy refers to the English courtier, George Villers, Duke of Buckingham, who was rumored to be King James I's lover. While there's no proof of this relationship, it was evident that King James was very fond of Villers, who was given a lot of money and titles. Villars good-looking and very well-documented, or er, Villers' good looks are very well-documented, though along with his love of women. It is said that Villers earned the wrath of several husbands whose wives had sex or he had sex with who did not always consent to it. We get the why girls cried when Georgie Porgy ran away and why and why Georgie Porgy ran away when the boys came out to play. Eeny meeny miny moe, catch a tiger by his toe, if he hollers let him go, Eeny meeny miny moe. Surprise is racism. What? Some nursery rhymes have a racist origin, but remember, I remember chanting this rhyme a lot and felt a little bamboozled. Rather than helping kids decide who is it in a game of tag, this rhyme was originally about catching and enslaving people. The part of the rhyme that I remember was the tiger as the tiger and actually was actually a racial slur. It isn't the only nursery rhyme that con- contained the Inward, Ten Little Monkeys, and Do Your Ears Hang Low were all staples used to mock black people, and the same applies to Jimmy Crack Corn, Camp Town Races, and Oh Susanna. Meaning that Bugs Bunny had me singing a lot of secretly racist tunes.
0: Doesn't surprise me one
1: bit. No. all right so now i've got a book that i'm going to be reading from that is the secret history of nursery rhymes um there's a lot in this book that i'd never heard but we'll go back and do some of the ones that are a little bit more obscure hickory dickory dock the mouse ran up the clock the clock struck one the mouse ran down hickory dickory dock a nonsense poem which uses alliteration with a childhood mimic and the sounds of a clock chiming in the relative point at relative points in the song. It is also intended to introduce children to the fundamentals of telling time. Investigation into the meanings and the words used lead us to believe that the origins oh, it has its origins in America. Hickory is a derived from the North American Indian word of the or, Pachoco. We are going to say that's right and go from that, which is an oily milk-like liquor that is pressed from pounded hickory nuts. The word pohickory was contained in a list in Virginia, Trees, published in fift- 1653. The word was subsequently shortened to hickory. The origin of dock. Dock is a species of plant, which the Latins named Ruminix cypress, a well-known weed in which long tape ropes making it difficult to ex- exterminate. The dock plan has been used as an astringic or toxic, or toxic, and many would have experiences of healing properties of the dock leaf after being stung by a stinging nettle.
3: Now this hickory dickory dock... Um- In this 1765 book, it was Dickory Dickory Dock. Now, the rhyme is thought to have been based on the astronomical clock at Exeter Cathedral, which is also known as the Cathedral Church of St. Peter, which is located in southwest England. Now, the clock itself has a small hole in the door below the face of it for the resident cat, to hunt mice
1: Interesting Isn't
3: that very fascinating? That
1: sounds a little bit more legit than the American version of it Yeah
3: hmm. And I don't know what dickery means I tried to look that up and the best I came up with It was a slang for dickish behavior <laughs> Quit that dickery behavior <laughs> And I've also seen this uh, written out in some books As hickety dickety dock Hickety. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Hot cross buns. Hot cross buns. One a penny to a penny hot cross buns. If you have no daughters, give them your sons. One a penny to a penny hot cross buns. Uh, this actually has a religious meaning. Hot cross buns are small, spicy fruit bread buns decorated with a white cross. Generally, they are served with butter spread. Traditionally, they were hawked by street sellers and to the city of, or to the cry of hot cross buns. Around the 19th century, hot cross buns are generally sold in, on, at Easter to celebrate the religious significance and resurrection of Jesus Christ following his death on the cross. During the Easter festival, the crucifixion being symbolized on the bun with the cross. Though now eaten throughout Easter holiday, hot cross buns were originally only eaten on Good Friday as they were symbolic of partaking in holy bread, communion, and the body of Christ.
3: It's very interesting because I always just thought that was about child trafficking.
1: Yeah, could very well be too. If you have no daughters, give them your sons. Hot cross buns.
0: Hot cross buns, yeah, hot cross buns. One penny or two penny, hot cross buns.
3: (laughs) And maybe back to... I guess a political, uh, a political origin of that um, leads me to think of the French Revolution, where bread was scarce.
1: Yeah. One a penny, two a penny.
3: Yeah.
1: It's not a very good deal. Pay a penny for one, you might as well just get two, right?
3: But I mean the <laughs> fact that you're you're
0: sacrificing your children, yeah, future to eat. Oh, get no status. Yeah. All right, give me a sudden. Yep. one hot cross bun for your son
1: two for your daughter one for your son <laughs> yeah on to the next
0: another one
1: Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall Humpty Dumpty had a great fall all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again
0: thanks to childhood books I only see Humpty Dumpty as a giant egg
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's a couple different theories on this. Um
0: I've never seen a giant egg sit on a wall before, so.
1: Yes. Um in on June 15th, 1645, St. Mary's Church was fortified or fortified and large cannons were placed on the roof, which was fired by one-eyed Jack Thompson.
0: Uh But he had terrible depth perception <laughs> 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 like, I, would really? not, I would not <laughs> let us one-eyed person shoot a cannon i'm sorry well you in
1: this thing <laughs> it didn't turn out well uh july 14th and 15th of 1648 the royalist fort within the walls of st mary's church is blown to pieces and their main cannon battery humpty dumpty is destroyed Oh, no. August 28th, 1648, the royalists lay down their arms and open the gates and to surrender to the parliamentarians. I said that wrong, but you'll go.
3: Parliamentarians.
1: There we go. So basically, Humpty Dumpty was the cannon, and the cannon fell, and they weren't able to fix it, and so they lost. (laughs) That's what you get for a one-eyed guy trying to fire a cannon.
0: All the king's horses
3: and all the king's men had to surrender.
1: Yep. Because we couldn't put them together again. Yep.
0: I'm sorry. I'm still struggling with not- a one-eyed guy <laughs> in charge up their artillery. Now, I swear well, I'm
3: hitting them. Now what else could it mean? I thought you said it had a couple of
1: oh, there was thoughts on it. Uh, there was something about a king. Uh, it's actually not in this book. It was in something else I read. One of the kings, he was... Hurt in a battle, mm. and they couldn't fix him. So that Humpty was the king.
0: How do you? But, oh yeah. Where does the arm go? I don't know. We haven't finished the song yet. <laughs> the yeah. arm bones connected to <laughs> the. <laughs>
3: yeah, because I guess in the in the rhyme it doesn't say anything about the king trying to yeah. fix any of that. Just all the people. king's
1: horses and all the king's men.
3: Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty good. Theory on it as
1: well
3: yeah poetry is interesting like that it could have like thousands of meanings depending if you look at it politically or historically or and then you talk to the poet and they're like
1: no i was literally talking about an egg sitting on a wall I mean, <laughs> <you're>
0: <laughs> like, exactly like, I, honestly i was eating lunch sitting on a wall and my egg fell off and broke <laughs> like, and i he's couldn't
3: like, he's, he's like, like I, I wouldn't trust me. I rhymed "men" and "again," so <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not exactly a great poet. <laughs>
0: I just wanted my hard-boiled egg, and it fell and busted, and I couldn't eat it again. So,
3: so many of the experiences we have in life are uh, can lead to inspiration like that to write <laughs> beautiful sonnets.
1: As sp- on top of old smoky all covered with cheese i lost my poor meatball when somebody sneezed see that was all about an unfortunate event at a buffet <laughs> 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 that was <What>? pre-sneeze guard <laughs> what, when was that when was that written i have no idea what well, to sing it all the time in elementary yeah.
0: school because I wonder it's top spaghetti. By the way, I wonder what? if it might Not old Smokey. Oh, oh, <laughs> well,
3: you know, it might tie into uh, like the Spanish flu. Well,
1: because I War mean, it's, it's a it's a satire of another song. It's on it's a yeah. satire of on top of old Smokey. It's on top of my spaghetti, all covered with cheese. Yeah, that's what it is. So uh, it, it's, it's it's a later a later thing. But
3: what's well, the original?
1: Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. It's something like that.
3: So I always heard on top of old Smokey all covered in blood. I shot my poor teacher with a forty four slug. Yeah, that was <laughs> the one, one? To too.
1: <laughs> you know, back preschool shootings. That one and then uh, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to school we go with razor blades and fresh grenades. Hi-ho, hi-ho, hi-ho. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: We were some pretty morbid kids.
3: We were.
1: No wonder that school shootings started in our in our lifetime.
0: <laughs> on top of old Smokey, all covered with snow, I lost my true lover from courtin' too slow. From Courtin' too slow, dear, from Courtin' too slow, I lost my true lover from courtin' too slow. On to, to, on top of old Smokey, I went for I went went for to weep for false hearted lover is worse than a thief. It's worse than a thief, dear, is worse than a thief. A false-hearted lover is worse than a thief. For a thief he will rob you of all that you have, but a false-hearted lover will send you to your grave.
3: And it keeps going. rhyme there. Yeah, and and (laughs) it keeps going. But yeah, (laughs) he rubbed have and Grave.
1: (laughs) Hav and Um. Yeah,
3: that's interesting.
1: That was about a bad romance.
3: Yeah, Get a it sounded like, sound like he waited too long to shoot his shot, and she was like, and friend-zoned him. <laughs> and he's like, aw. Been there. <laughs> I gotta go on top of the mountain and write a sad sonnet.
1: Now, here's one I sing all the time. I, in fact, sing it today. Hush-a-bye, baby. On to- uh, now I'm singing it with <laughs> <laughs> Tom Maltz. Holt-
0: Baby, don't say
1: a word. Hush a little hush little baby, don't sit. No, that's not that one. Mm. No. Uh, rock oh. a bye, baby, on top of a tree.
3: When the, a bye baby on the treetop.
1: Hush, a, yeah.
3: When the wind blows the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. Down tumbles baby cradle and all.
1: Yeah. But now I can't sing it without being on top of old Smokey So we're <laughs> just gonna go with that, the spoken word um Hush a Bye Baby is said to have its origins. Well, uh, this one is also another one where I've heard multiples, but it's said uh, to have had origins in America. I've also heard in Britain. Uh, it was apparently the practice of some Native Americans to place their babies on the branches of the tree, allowing the wind to gently rock the child to sleep. And Hush a Bye Baby on the treetop. The meaning is the word of this rhyme seems to have an explanation. The words in the song intended to soothe the child to sleep can therefore be correctly described as both a nursery rhyme and a lullaby. Another version of the rhyme published in Songs for a Nursery in 1805 became the warnings Rockabye Baby and the Cradle is Green, the father's a nobleman, the mother's a green. The two versions com- comprehend together a time in the world when by Baby... But blah, 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 blah. Combined, were together over time, and the words "hushaby baby" became "rockaby baby." Now, I've also heard that it was British royalty, and I don't remember what king because I don't have it in front of me. There was a king whose wife had a stillborn, but had had multiple stillborns, and in order to prevent her from being killed, the one of the made nursemaids or whatever stole a baby from somebody else and presented it as their own. And then there was also one that it used to be a tradition to hang stillborn children from a tree. Yeah. So all well, of those could a, possibly be the origins on that I one. remember
3: that superstition. So, While we're reading about it.
1: Yeah. So there's a few different options in that one too. Again Poetry. Is there a right answer? Who knows? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, i it, still got old, sp- got on top of spaghetti stuck in my
1: <laughs> <room>. <laughs> patty cake. Patty cake, baker's <laughs> man, bake me a cake as fast as you can. You pat it and you roll it and you mark it with the bee, and you put it in the oven for baby and me. I've only done that one a bazillion times. <laughs> The origin of this poem is unknown, but the tradition of decorating cakes with the name or initial of a child is still adeer, 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 a adhered 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 to today. The song Patty Cake is always accompanied by clapping a clapping game. No it isn't I didn't clap there. Uh, much loved by children everywhere the action of actually accompanying patty cake is probably accounted an account the ritual passing a particular song from generation one generation to the next
0: you know you had to become your best baker and you started sounding like the chef from uh heard 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 a bird I need <laughs> a bird
1: peas putting hot peas putting cold peas putting in a pot nine days old some like it hot some like it cold some like it in a pot nine days old I threw this one in here because it sounds disgusting.
0: I've never heard that one before.
1: The peas pudding hot refers to, in the words of the poem, referred to, refer, to. Refer, <laughs> uh, she's
0: back to it. <laughs> <laughs> it had food in it. She went back to the chef.
1: <laughs> is referred to, in the words of this poem, is a dish which is still enjoyed in Britain today. It is a smooth, thick sauce referred to as a pudding in the rhyme for the sake of all Alliteration, which is a dark yellow color. Peas pudding is a hot dish made from dried peas. It can be reheated and often required, or it, er, it can be reheated as often as required. Hence, the nine days old peas pudding, as traditionally served hot with boiled bacon or a form of sausage called salvery. Sounds disgusting.
3: It sounds like it's a
1: porridge. The dark yellow color and the fact that it's peas immediately turned me <laughs> off. <on. laughs>
3: it's like, instead of oatmeal, it's pea meal.
1: Yeah, sounds gross. Yeah. I can imagine the texture and the color would just cause me to just <laughs> vomit before it even hit my mouth.
3: You know, there was a time <laughs> when only certain foods were available a certain time of the year. Mm-hmm. And you had to do what you had to do. Yeah. People gotta eat.
1: Yeah. The British eat a lot of things that I wouldn't eat. That's just because that's how I was raised.
3: And I'm sure we eat a lot of stuff they wouldn't. Oh yeah, we do. Especially in the south.
1: Like yeah. Pig's feet. I don't eat pigs Frog feet. legs. I don't eat frogs. Gator. Legs. I don't eat gator. You don't eat any fish. Nope. I'm a weird one. But you put any kind of vegetable you like what you like. or fruit in front of me and I'll eat it, other than peas. I, don't like I was going to say, except for you. you. just talked about how you wouldn't eat peas. I like peas or lima beans. Those are the only two that I won't eat. I'll eat anything else. I'm not a fan of lima beans. And that just comes from childhood trauma where I was forced to eat them all <laughs> before I could get up. <laughs> rain, rain, go away. Come again another day. Little Johnny wants to play. Rain, rain, go to Spain. Never show your face again.
0: I have not heard it that way.
1: The origin to the word rain, rain, go away are said to date back to the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, one of the English Tudor monarchs. During the period of England's history where the constant rivalry between Spain and England accumulating in the the launch of the Spanish Armada in 1588. The Spanish Armada, led by Duke of Medina Sedona, consisted of 130 Spanish galleons and ships, which were sent to invade England. The English fleet, under the Admiral Lord Howard, totaled 34 small Navy vessels and 163 armed merchant ships, but they defeated the Great Spanish Armada. Only 65 Spanish galleons and just 10,000 men returned to Spain. The attempt failed not only because of the swift nature of the small English ships, but also the stormy weather which scattered the Armada fleet. Hence the origin of Rain Rain Go Away.
3: There is um, a poem dedicated to one of... I can't remember which pagan deity it is where they let loose the thunderstorm. It's part of the... Canterbury Tales I think hmm. um, But a lot Of these Spanish wound up Washing up on the shores of Ireland And They didn't know the language And they wound up Assimilating with the people And um, Marrying them And having children with them And it's one of the origins of how you hear like black irish. Yeah. That that is one of the things it can mean. Part Spanish, part Irish. Hmm. But it could also mean part Norse and part Gaelic, you know, the yeah. Norse scales or part Dutch. And Irish would I guess be the proper terms. Yeah. Spanish Armada is pretty cool that whole History of that time, of the late fifteen
0: hundreds. If you like history, say I actually knew about that. <laughs> so Amy's reading I was like, "Oh, I know this." <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was a crooked man, and he walked a crooked mile. He found a crooked sixpence upon a crooked sty- style. He bought a crooked cat with with which caught a crooked mouse, and they all lived together in a little crooked house. This poem originates from the English Stuart history of King Charles I. The crooked, crooked man is re- reputed to be the Scottish General Sir Alexander Leslie. The general signed a covenant securing religious and political freedom from Scotland. The crooked style it refers to the border between England and Scotland. Quote, they all live together in a little crooked house refers to the fact that the English and Scots had at last come to an agreement. The word reflects the time when they were greatly. There was a great animosity between England and the Scots. The word cricket is pronounced crooked, with an emphasis on the ed in the word, and this was common in Old English. and I- In many references, can be found using this type of pronunciation in the works of William Shakespeare. Hmm.
3: Crooked man. Crooked. It's interesting to bring up Shakespeare. That book I was talking about earlier, the second part of it is all sonnets by Shakespeare. Yeah. Which is more for, I guess, targeted towards the adult audience. Yeah. Reading like the first part of the book is the rhymes for the children, and then the second part is like sonnets for adults. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually one that cracks me up because... I showed it to you. Yeah, and they—I don't know if you're familiar with what a long s is, but a long s—it kind of looks like an f. So in this one line, where the b sucks their suck eye, it actually looks like where the b fucks their fuck (laughs) (laughs) eye. The long s is a funny little part of history (laughs) and and literature.
1: There was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do. So she gave them some broth without any bread and whipped them all soundly and sent them to bed. At first glance, the words, there was an old woman, would appear to be nonsense. But the fact is, it is believed to have origins in English history. There were two choices of origin. The first relates to Queen Caroline, wife of King George II, who had eight children. The second verse refers to King George who began his men's fashion in wearing white powdered wigs. He, consecutively referred, he is consequently referred to as the old woman. The children were members of Parliament and the bed was the house of the Parliament. Even today, the term whip is often used in the English Parliament to describe members of Parliament who is tasked to ensure that all members toe the party line as a point of history, historical interest, the wigs worn by women of the period were also large and unhygienic, and it became necessary to use a mousetrap in their construction. Interesting.
3: I thought it was just advice for parents that if you want your kids to have a good night
0: rest, give them a good beating before... <laughs> I know
3: when I was a kid, I got a beating almost every night before I went to bed.
0: <laughs> I mean, you hit them hard enough, they don't wake up for a while. Y'all are horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm not a father, so...
1: Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. Jack jumped over the candlestick.
3: Jack wasn't nimble, Jack wasn't quick, and Jack burned off his dick.
1: (laughs) 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 The most commonly agreed origin for Jack, be nimble, is the connection to Black Jack, the English pirate, who was notorious for escaping from the authorities in the late 16th century. Hence, Jack be Nimble. The words cannot be further analyzed due to the brief text, but it could be associated with an old sh- tradition and uh, sport of leaping candles. They used to be practiced at some British fairs.
0: <laughs> You'll remember this day as the day you almost caught Black Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound as good. Now...
3: I don't know why, but I had images in my head of him running along the city wall, jumping over the, like the, the the torches, or the lighting or whatever they were using. Oh like yeah. The
0: city walls.
1: Apparently, candle jumping was a thing.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, I might be good at that sport. I don't know. Now I probably not, but, but
1: I don't know how how tall is this candle. I mean, we're talking old tea candle. I can I can jump over that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we got like a whole abra going with like four or five lick candles that stands about three feet tall, I nah, ain't happening.
0: <laughs> 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 it's
3: the candelabra from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to trip you with his. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: Le mer, Little Bo Peep has lost your sheep and doesn't know where to find them. Leave them alone and they'll come home. This is the wrong rhythm. <laughs> uh- <laughs> But anyway, bring their tails, uh, bringing their tails behind them. Little Bo Peep fell af- fast asleep and dreamt th- that she heard them bleeding, bleating, not bleeding.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, they would been.
1: <laughs> but when she awoke, she found it uh, found it a joke, for they were still all fleeting. Then up she took her little crook, determined to find them. She found them indeed, but that made her heart bleed, for they had lof- left their tails behind them. If it happens one day, Bo Peep did stray into a meadow hard by. There she spied their tails side by side, all hung in a tree to dry. Now that is one that, oh, there's more to it. <laughs> she heaved a sigh and wiped her eye all over the hill. hillocks were rumbl- rambling and tried what she could, but the shepherdess should, as a shepherdess should, to tack again each to its lambskin. So I only knew the first part of this one. I had never heard the whole kitten caboodle. Uh, The rhyme is build your picture of a young sheep or shepherdess and the advice given to her by someone more experienced. Uh, Basically what happens is... There was a there's a fly that will lay its eggs by the sheep's bottom and maggots will eat the flesh. So farmers remove the sheep's tails. But little Bo Peep did not know that that was a thing. So when she fell asleep, they got their tails whacked off by the farmer and so on and so forth is the story behind that one. Hmm. But yes, I did not know the whole one and it made me sad. And then it just... Yeah.
3: It can't be that literal. What, I mean, what's the symbolism behind that?
1: This rhyme builds a picture of a young shepherdess and the advice given to her by someone more experienced. It is an interesting that the name of Little Bo Peep was well derived from the derivative of the, word, derivative of the word bleat and sheep. There is a specific relevant to events in history of the origin of Little Bo Peep rhyme. Until fields were enclosed with fences and hedges, people used common land to graze livestock. Children often were given the job to ensure that the animals did not wander off, hence the nursery rhymes such as Little Bo Peep and Little Boy Blue. The moral of Little Bo Peep is one that must be taken responsibly of falling asleep or face the consequences. Lamb's tails were often removed to prevent fly strike, a fly that would lay eggs close to the sheep's bottom. The maggots then eat the flesh. The removal of the tails obviously took place whilst Bo Peep was asleep, or possibly over time they fell off with a ligature. Clearly, on seeing the sheep without her tails, she was dismayed and thought she would get into trouble. Therefore, tried to reunite the sheep with their tails by trying to find them. The word Little Bo Peep is quite interesting as it contains the words that are often forgotten part of in in, English language. Words such as espied, hillocks, and lambskin. All can be found in the story of Little Bo Peep. So what I said.
0: (laughs) (coughs) It sounds more of like a Nursery rhyme, they would tell people. It was just more like yeah. a don't fall asleep on your job kind of thing. And uh,
1: little Jack Horner sat in the corner eating his Christmas pie. He put his thumb in and pulled out a plum and said, What a good boy am I?
0: Never heard that one before. You never heard that one? No. Have oh, you heard that one? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm also new to most of these rhymes, so.
1: Uh, little Jack Horner was reputed to be the have been the steward to King Whitling or White sorry King White or, no to Richard Whiting, uh, the Bishop of Gastonbury. The steward had an important role with responsible for managing the household, collecting taxes, and keeping accounts. Gastonbury was the largest and wealthiest abbey in England. And the Benedict Monastery owned extensive land and manors in the country of Somerset. Between 1536 and 1540, after breaking away from the Catholic Church, King Henry VIII and his chief mist- minister, Thomas Cromwell set out to systematically dissolve or systematic dissolution of all the monasteries in England. The reason for this was to loot the monasteries of their gold and and silver and seized the monastery or the monasteric land by 1538 Gastonbury was the only religious house left in Somerset and it was only a matter of time before Gastonbury Abbey was also seized it is rumored that the bishop tried to bribe the king he sent his steward Jack Horner with a gift of 12 title deeds in a various english manor estates the deeds were said to have been created in pie variables often hidden bizarre fashion thought to thwart thieves. Little Jack Corner realized the bribe would do no good and he, he was said to have stolen the deeds to the manor um, for himself.
3: Now that makes sense.
1: Yep. Oh, what a good boy am I.
3: <laughs> you are.
1: You know, it's. Wait.
0: <laughs>
1: it is also the Catholic Church and a little boy in the corner and he sticks his thumb in and. Oh, what a good boy am I! (laughs) Oh, I tease, I tease. Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet, eating her curds and whey. Along came a spider who sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. One theory is that Little Miss Muffet was a small girl whose name was Patience Muffet. Her stepfather, Dr. Muffet, was a famous entomologist. Who wrote the first scientific catalogue of British insects? Whilst eating her breakfast of curds and whey, little Miss Muffet was frightened by one of the spiders and ran away. This particular nursery rhyme of little Miss Muffet reputedly dates back to the 16th century and indicated as indicated by the the birth date of Dr. Muffet. Another theory is that the staunch Roman Catholic Queen Mary of Scots. Was the Little Miss Muffet referring to the rhyme in the Scottish religious former John Knox? Was the spider who frightened her away? Mary, Queen of Scots, eventually fled Scotland due to the hatred of the religious reformers and is reputed to have said, I'll fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe.
3: And I always just thought it was a little girl that had a mushroom hat on.
1: (laughs) Nope.
3: It's always how it's depicted.
1: Yeah.
0: I only know the dirty version of that.
1: I don't know a dirty version <laughs> of that. You don't know it? No. Oh.
0: You want to do us the honors? You can do it. <laughs> no, I don't want to.
1: <laughs> it's
0: bad. It's really
1: bad. I don't even
0: remember all of it, but I
1: All King Cole was a merry old soul and a merry old soul was he. He called for his pipe in the middle of the night and he called for his fiddler's three. Every fiddler had a fine fiddle and every fine fiddle had he. Oh, there's none so rare as compared to with King Cole and his fiddler's three. The origin of this rhyme dates back to the third century. There's considerable confusion regarding the origins of old King Cole and there are three possible contenders who were Celtic kings, of Britain, all who shared the name Cole, Mm C-O-E-L which is the Celtic word for the English name Cole, C-O-L-E Historia Regium Britannia History of the Kings of Britain by Geoffrey of Monmouth refers to King Cole as the King of Britons Cole Godenbog Cole of the Magnificent who that's that that translate to was the lord of colchester the court word colchester means cole's castle the romans had conquered britain during this period and Col god he, god- he-, god- he- Bog was a desertion meaning member of the municipal senate in ancient rome who ran the local government uh, call Hin cole the old Called Old, due to his longevity, was also Lord of Clockenstier or Clockenster of De Curtin. This was the time of the decline of the Roman Empire. And then Saint al Col, the son of Colhen, uh, appears to have been made saint because he upheld the old Christian ways against the pagan invaders. He used Saxton mercenaries to help. With the quest, he was named in the Historia Regium Britannia as attempting to or attending the coronation of King Arthur, who became the one king of the Britons. So one of those three could be the old King Cole. Britain, where's Britain? You're
3: and, in it. And all those old tales. That there's always a lot of images of threes and the triad, and
0: yeah. This magic number.
3: I want to say there's a coal in the Mabinagian. It's probably called the Magnificent. Now, one of the ones I stumbled upon in this book is one that we used in the Black-Eyed Children episode, which they were said to sing. And that is Alexander's Song, which goes... There was a man from Thessaly, and he was wondrous wise. He jumped into a quickset hedge and scratched out both his eyes. And when he saw his eyes were out, with all his might and main, he jumped into another hedge and scratched them out again. You Under remember this one? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what could that mean.
1: He didn't want to see it, so he kept scratching out his eyes.
0: How do you see that he didn't scratch out his eyes when he couldn't see?
1: Maybe they healed.
3: (laughs) Now, I think Thessaly um, is a place in Greece. And in the Homer's Odyssey, it was Aeolia. A-E-O-L-I-A.
1: Aeolia. Oh, wait. No, it's (laughs) Cornolia.
3: But, I mean, how any of that ties into a man being from there.
0: I don't know. All I know is I felt very sheltered. You guys kept saying all these nursery rhymes. I knew like three.
1: Oh, There were a lot of other ones too that I knew that I didn't cover because the history wasn't that.
0: I just, I don't know. Like I remember like, you know, Ring Around the Rosie and a couple of the ones like the school yard games and stuff around. But
1: Maybe it's because I didn't give you my scary books for you to read. Yeah.
0: Red Rover Red Rover.
1: It's in Chadio right over.
0: Yeah, I know. Ne- I've never been much for rhymes, so probably as a kid I just saw the books and just didn't read them. Yeah. <clears throat> I was more into the scary stuff. So I was reading really always reading uh scary stories to tell in the dark.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean when I was little
0: I don't think mom read me nursery rhymes.
1: There were also shows like um Oh, the elephant show and lamb chops sing along and I barely all, remember lamb chop like things like but, that where they actually would sing a lot of these songs and yeah. do a lot of these games and stuff. And that was because we didn't have cable. <laughs> My our grandmother would record these things for me and then. I would just watch them over and over and over and over again. So so that could have a lot to do with it too. Is that I just watched all those, all those programs back in the late eighties that did that stuff all the time. Skid dinky dink, skid do. I love you.
3: All right. I know there's one that probably everybody's heard. Hi, diddle diddle the cat and the fiddle. The cow jumped over the moon. The little dog laughed to see such craft and the dish ran away with the spoon.
1: Mm-hmm. I always picture a little plate and the spoon holding hands and running away.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, it's pretty common to see cats and fiddles. I mean, you see this in like Puss in Boots. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know
1: why. There's a lot of nursery rhymes with cats in general. Cats and, yeah, fiddles and mice. Not a lot of cows. Sheep.
0: This one jumped over a moon.
1: Mm-hmm. But there's a little dog and he laughed.
0: Yeah.
1: It honestly, <laughs> it sounds like a trip dream. Like a. <laughs>
0: Possibly. Every time I hear that one, I always think of this. Uh, uh, little boy blue and the man in the moon.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. We'll, we'll be, be together, together then. then. So. <laughs>
0: But every time I hear that one, for some reason, that's what pops in my head. Yeah,
1: that, that, yeah, because the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue <laughs> and the man in yeah, the why. moon. Yeah, yeah, that that pops into my head almost every time I, see I hear that one too. Or the other way around too. I hear the song and then this pops <laughs> into my head. It depends on how recently I'd read it to my son or my daughter.
3: <laughs> there was one in this book that. I found it really interesting. It's called A Melancholy Song. <clears throat> and it goes, Trip upon trenchers and dance upon dishes. My mother sent me for some barm, some barm. She bid me go lightly and come again quickly, for fear the young men should do me some harm. Yet didn't you see, yet didn't you see what naughty tricks they put upon me? They broke my pitcher and spilled the water and huffed my mother and chid her daughter and kissed my sister instead of me.
1: That's a dark, twisty one.
3: I <laughs> know. It's like, all right, go to sleep, kids.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that Sweet one, dreams. That one almost reminds me of the room McIntyre song Fancy. <laughs> Fans that don't let me down. uh That's yeah that one's disturbing <laughs> or what was the one with the Plato song ding dong bell the cat's in the well but who put her in there little johnny green the naughty boy that was that to drown the poor pussy cat who never did any harm and killed the mice of his father's bar- in his father's barn yeah but anyway the other one was pretty that, That's yeah
0: there's some dark ones for sure I don't understand why I, you'd want to say that sing those to your kid before bed, but...
1: Okay, I used to sing Rockabye Baby, but I normally would sing the uh, hush little baby, don't say a word. Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. Yeah. I would sing that one, or I would actually sing Garth Brooks' The River. Those were like my two main lullabies that I sing both of I've been singing,
0: notes. how does it work, like, in the future... Are they going to be so like, Lil' By is going to be like Kanye songs? <laughs> Probably.
1: I ain't saying she's a gold oh, digger. Good- <laughs> she's a crazy.
0: <laughs> and soldier boy. <laughs> and soldier boy the hoe. Wop. <laughs> Get your baby child to sleep, sleep so he can wop. <laughs> <laughs> what is pussy? <laughs> I got it. Lay your bed, your kid to sleep and slob so on my knob, like corn <laughs> on the cob. <top. laughs> Check in with me and do
1: your job. Oh.
0: <laughs>
1: well, you know, a baby, honestly, you could, as long as you sing it in a sing-songy voice, yeah. it would put a baby to sleep. And that's I mean that's kind of They don't understand what you're saying Now you might not sing that to (laughs) your Three or four year old but
0: I want to get them to repeat it in school (laughs) uh, Oh they will
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh they will (laughs) A baby's going to fall asleep Well not necessarily You're going to More than likely be able to rock a baby to sleep with it
0: um, I think it's just more the hearing your voice in a soothing tone. Yeah. That's just
1: rockabye baby mm-hmm. in the treetop.
0: I say, yeah. I think getting get <laughs> a soothing voice, no matter what yeah. you're saying. We'll do it.
1: Yeah. I w- Go heck, to
0: sleep, you stupid child. Oh.
1: I would. I would make up songs because both my kids had hard times falling asleep. One of those things where I'd sit in there for two hours. Every time i get up, they'd start screaming. So I'd sit in there and sing to them for two hours. And I would sit there and make up songs about needing to fall asleep. Like, close your eyes and go to sleep and see a dream of dinosaurs. Like, (laughs) like, just sit there and just make it up as I go. Because I'd be out of songs or I'd be (laughs) sick and tired of singing the same songs over. And my kids would always, mommy, will you please sing? Okay, what do you want me to sing now?
0: Well, see, that's a mistake. If you didn't sing to your kids to begin with, they wouldn't have asked for it.
1: I was just, you know, naive. (laughs) If I was (laughs) smart, I would have just gotten a lullaby CD and hit play.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sure. I just put a TV in their room and let them fall asleep watching Sesame Street or something.
1: (laughs) I did eventually get the Calm app that has nighttime or sleep stories. Yeah. And Dean's favorite was actually... um, uh, the three little pigs read by uh, Nick Ron, Offerman. Yeah, Nick Offerman. Yeah. But Ron Swanson, it's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But those are nursery rhymes. Their origins. Some are dark and twisty. Some are just interesting and historical. Yeah. Some of them we don't really know. They could be anything.
3: Yeah. And if you have a a take on them an opinion on them you know Send us an email. Reach out to us on Discord or something.
1: Yeah. If you got one that we didn't cover that you think it, they creeped you out as a child, send it in. We'll have, we'll record it in a creepy voice and play it and repeat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the whole episode of just that same song, just with echo. And <laughs> <reverb> and, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Um, be sure to go and check out all our Green Mushroom Podcast Network shows. We've got Xv Planets, Primordia, Smuts Up, Lexicolt, Ad hoc His- Ad hoc History, Administrism, and Faith Blind Council. Also, don't forget our brothers over there at Grognostics and Web Weird Web Radio. And we also have our Parabox Monthly. I'm wearing my new shirt today. It is the Philadelphia Experiment, which tied us in perfectly with Armand Talks About It. Um, I'm pretty sure to go to the link in the description of this show. It's also on our website. Use promo code PARANORMALCY at checkout and get 10% off your order. Um, Also, remember that our 200th episode is coming soon. Go find our bracket. It's going to be on our. It's on our Discord, our Facebook, our Instagram, and I'm going to try to put it on our website. Uh, you can download it, fill it out, and then email it back to us. We will not look at them until after we've done the show, um, because we do just kind of roll with it when we're doing it. We don't have pre-picked winners or anything, so we don't want to be influenced by anybody. Um, and whoever has the closest bracket is going to win some merchandise and depending on how many we have sent in um, multiple people may win some stuff we might tear it out a little bit we'll just see how many we get Um, but the bracket's up go find it and send it to us we're ready for it
0: I haven't typed everything out for uh, the two hundredth episode yet but I've already got some stuff going for it that I'm
1: Awesome possum. Awesome. I'm excited about the 200. I need to get cookies. I don't know if we got enough time. I'm sure we had enough time. We had the cutest cookies for our 100th episode. So yeah. and they were really good.
3: Hey, we have months.
1: <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. So until next time,
3: keep digging.
1: Unearthing Paranormalcy is a part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com.